Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Huge investigation at the PGMOL as they're trying to find out how the referees allowed four goals to stand at Old Trafford. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. <clears throat> Look, the referee's job, quite clearly, is to ensure that there are no goals in football. And they did part of their job on Sunday, but four other incidents were allowed to stand where the ball went in the back of the net. Um, and, and as a result of that, Arsenal do fall to their first loss of the season. And with that loss, they fall to <clears throat> top of the table. So, yes, we are top of the league. Say we are top of the league. And I think it allows us to have a conversation about this game that might be less fraught, uh, less filled with, with dread and recrimination. It's easier to have that at the top of the table. I think some people will say, well, this was the first test and we didn't pass it. I actually thought the game at Crystal Palace was a harder game, but that's just me. Um, but this is it. This is football, and it's not the highest scoring sport in the world, and sometimes you get sucker punched. I think that's a bit of what happened, but we'll see if everybody agrees on that. So we did an instant reaction yesterday. You can certainly listen to that if you are so inclined. We're going to need to do a rewatch of this because there's so much to pick out from it, and we can do that the proper way because the man, the myth, the legend, Clive, is back from his holiday, which was not approved, so we will have to go over that uh, in his <laughs> annual review. He's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. <laughs> Look, Clive, I've been meaning to tell you there are people in this organization that are striving, some are thriving, and some are surviving. And I, you know, yeah. I just want to get a sense of where you think you are in that continuum, having decided to take a week off and, and skiving. Uh, yeah, skiving. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. I will. Uh, <laughs> the listeners that like me will tell me where I am, and the ones that don't will tell me where I am. And that's the way it goes, right? That's life. Actually, it's usually the latter that tell you where you are. The former <laughs> tend, tend to be a lot more quiet, unfortunately. Uh, but it's all good. So, yeah, uh, Tim's on Twitter. It's Roberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! It is an upbeat mood because we are all together, but it is a a, a negative result. And I think the performance of certain specific players could be really interesting for discussion here. I think the overall question of were we dominant or were we not dominant or were we naive, all very interesting. I just want to put the VAR moment at the top of the podcast because it, it is such a big thing to discuss and influence the game so heavily that I think once we do that and, and can move that off the table, we can have maybe the more interesting conversation about how we played and where the flaws were and where the strengths were. So... Clive, because you're you're freshly back, I will start with you. You know, I love my my boy Martinelli. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if I've ever made that clear. And so for him to get that goal in that fixture to open the scoring, obviously I was, um, let's just say, happy, and it was being demonstrated in my home and in, uh, in various, very visible 
and verbal ways. But the the scary thing about any goal now is you know that there's a chance it's not going to stand. And I knew the minute that ball went in that they were going to be looking at that challenge at midfield. So before we talk VAR, just quickly, Clive, can we at least celebrate a lovely ball from Odegaard, a beautiful take from Martinelli on the run, and a sensational finish that, even if it doesn't count, does count in the sense that it took the skill and the endeavor to do it, and this is a player that's on the up, and we should be excited about what that moment tells us for what we're going to continue to see from these players. Because the ref took it away, but it still happened. You know what I mean? It still happened, and it was a lovely pass from Saka, just to save you from the listener. Uh, Saka, uh, thank you. <laughs> a lovely pass from yes, Saka. It, it was Odegaard's um, foul, and it was Saka's pass, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And um, and he went through, and he just, oh, I don't know what he did, he just bounced that in. And like all of us, we, we're seasoned watchers now. We will hopefully mm-hmm. score, and as he accelerated onto it, we were pretty sure he'd score. Is that fair comment? He seemed to just mm-hmm. sweep it away. And we, you can always tell with strikers. I always say, I like to break it down: how you approach it, how you shake your body, where, you, what's what's your stride pattern? Are you reaching? Do you get your body around it? I, I, I look for all those small details, as as the listener knows. And um, he just bounced that in, and it was going in no matter what they did. Right, and so first touch was great, wasn't it? Yeah, so he's arrived. Right, he's now a man. Right, he has arrived. He is. He is now. We used to sit back a couple of years ago on this podcast, looking at Mane and Salah, and think, "Quite, we wouldn't mind a couple of those." Well, we got two twenty-one-year-olds, twenty-year-olds in our team that are doing the business at this age Mm -hmm. that Mane and Salah weren't doing. So, just bring it. As we're a little bit depressed today, just think about that for a second. You know. Because what I saw yesterday from those two was a man's performance in a man's game where they had little or no protection. You know, typical mm-hmm. Old Trafford experience, which Tim has been to many, many times. <laughs> you know, and um, it's frustrating walking out of that ground in that, oh, let's not go there, Tim, let's not go there, right? So, like, um, so, like, so, yeah, it's, I felt that was excellent. But I don't know if you want me to touch on VAR quickly, just quickly yeah, on VAR as a separate do. thing. When we spoke about VAR on the podcast as it was coming in, the words I used was, I'm worried we're going to lose the soul of the game. And I chose them words really carefully. Because the soul of the game for me, when you are traveling like Tim was on the train yesterday, is to have that moment. And when that moment is now, you're not sure you're going to get it, it's quite depressing. Last year, when we came back against Wolves and Lacazette scored the last minute, I didn't jump up because for some reason I was in line with it and I thought he was offside and I didn't want to let myself go. So I missed probably one of the highlight moments of the of the home season. And I didn't enjoy it. I missed it because I was just terrified they're going to take it away. Do you know what I mean? And that's what happens quite a lot. And that, to me, is the soul of the game. Once you start to impact the very moment by which you go to a game to see those special, special things that you can't do, your body will never be able to do under the speed and the pressure by which they are performing. And that's taken away and almost like you're finding reasons to do it. That to me is the soul of the game. And that's why there's a lot of football fans out there that are watching lower league football, non-league football, women's football, other other football, because they this... This form of the game at the top level, despite its exploding, doesn't suit everybody. 
You know, it yeah. doesn't suit everybody. And <laughs> that solved the game for me. Is that, that statement, it's, it's becoming really, really true, particularly this weekend. I was a giant proponent of VAR because I felt that in a digital age where even the people at the ground could glance at a cell phone and within 20 seconds of a goal being allowed or disallowed, know the call was wrong really hung the referees out to dry. It, it, it was a farce, and it, it wasn't a good situation for the game because games were being decided by clearly wrong calls that everyone knew were clearly wrong within 25 seconds. So I thought, just giving the referees a chance to see a little more clearly and make the right call, that makes a lot of sense. What's astonishing to me is, like, <laughs> they still make the wrong call, or they, they're inconsistent, or their judgment isn't good. And so I know it bothers Tim because he believes that referees have a hard job, and and... They make fewer mistakes than we may think. And I think that's right. I think VAR, in a way, has put a spotlight on their errors because they're just elevating their errors by looking at the same footage and making different decisions. There's a Tielemans goal, uh, sorry, a Tielemans barge that leads to a Leicester goal in the Brighton game that's allowed to stand. There's this one that's not. There's the the goal against us, uh, uh, the Villa goal, right, with Martinez being, uh, Martinez, listen to me, Ramsdale being obstructed. And and there's no consistency to it. And so it is frustrating. And and I have to admit, like, I think back all my years of watching the Premier League now, and I can think of the big moments and the big famous goals and the ones that get you off your seat. This was one of them. This is there. This is at that caliber. It's a big moment. It turns the tide of the game. It's a, a sensational piece of skill. And, and it doesn't count. It, it doesn't matter anymore. Now, Tim, what I will say is, if that referee blows that whistle in real time and calls that foul... I'd be like, oh, it's a little soft, but okay. It's foul. Fine. You can, you've seen them given, I guess you would say. But given what we know about the directive to let it flow and the clear and obvious error, the idea that you can look at that and come away thinking, I have to change my ruling on the pitch because this is clear enough, that's where it falls apart and becomes a nonsense. And it's, it's such a shame to lose a moment of brilliance for a young man on a global stage who has done that piece of skill over something that's 50-50. And I, I honestly believe one of the mistakes of VAR is the, are the slow motion replays. Because any contact, when you take out the context of the speed of the game, can look like a foul. But in real time, what you realize is Erickson sticks a leg, he's starting to go down, there's a little bit of light contact, and it, it, it can be, you can let it flow. And he did let it flow properly. Then you slow it down and look at it at 1-100 speed, and suddenly you've got you've got contact as a foul. And I, I don't ever want to hear again, Tim, about the blood and thunder of the Premier League, you know, and that it's a contact sport if this is what we're what we're gonna get treated to. Yeah, definitely. It's it's leadership by ratio. Um it actually reminds me a little bit of um uh, certain governments at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um I won't say which one, but float a policy out there, see what people on Twitter say. If they react angrily, you turn. Um and that's that basically what you're seeing is on this whole subject of VAR, there is no leadership. And how you can tell there's no leadership, first of all, and, and this all, this has always wound me up at the beginning of every season, we see every season there's some new directive that they bring in that lasts two weeks, and it's really stupid. Like a couple of years ago, there was something about pulling up fouling at set pieces, which for me, I, I think it should be pulled up more. So then like there were no goals scored from set pieces, and then it just went away after two weeks. And yep. what you're seeing is this happening with VAR as well. All the examples you've just highlighted in that West Ham goal and things like that, what that shows you 
is that there is not a shared understanding at all between the officials, between the VAR, about the threshold. Now, obviously, there is a, like subjectivity baked into all of this, which is another one of the reasons that VAR just, for me, doesn't work in the sport. Yeah. But, yeah. of course, like, you know, clear and obvious, that's still a subjective baseline. <clears throat> But what you shouldn't be having is wild variations from game to game. Like, I didn't really complain about the Ming Saka thing, uh, penalty against Villa. I didn't really complain about the Villa goal because I was very much like, yeah, okay, but I, I want, like, I don't want VAR at all, but if we're going to have it, I want it low intervention. And those are 50 50 decisions. I mean, maybe not the Saka Mings one, maybe that's a 70% decision but it's like fine I'm, I'm okay with that not being pulled up I really am and then this is pulled up four days later and it's like well what's going on and then you look at like Cucurella having like his hair pulled off a couple of weeks ago and that didn't meet the threshold but this does and the goal West Ham had disallowed on Saturday where like oh. it's just absolutely insane it's just like and what that shows is the referees are being hung out to dry they were always going to be hung out to dry by VAR for the reasons you said but they're being hung out to dry even more because they're not being given a clear directive and then like you say this thing about we're going to let it flow unless like the point of the actual game is achieved and a goal yeah. is scored yeah like like what is up with that and that shows you that they haven't thought about it they haven't no. talked it through they haven't talked through they haven't thought things through to their logical conclusion it just like it's harebrained it's just like let's do this and then for two weeks it happens and everyone goes mental and they go oh fuck let's stop doing that let's do this oh no everyone's going mad let's stop doing this and it's stupid it's just a complete lack of leadership they're just briefing, though, Tim, aren't they? They're briefing the TV yeah. people. They're briefing reporters. And they're getting it out there. But there is no exact, there's no measurement. It's still an interpretation. It's an interpretation yeah, yeah. of an incident in each individual game. And each individual game had its own temperature, as you heard me say a million times. So what have we just yeah. said? A new, a new directive. They briefed the coaches, briefed the journalists. Rubbish. It's just rubbish. Yeah. It'll soon oh, go yeah. away. It'll soon go away. It's it's look, it's almost like um you know you know when you read about uh, government policy in the Daily Telegraph before it's announced and it's like why is it in the Telegraph like that's not how you govern a country <laughs> and it's and the thing is as well that again like that that ob like obviously even with the subjectivity that is a ludicrously low bar low threshold to get involved and what that means and what that West Ham goal means like I've always been nervous about celebrating with VAR but if those goals can be disallowed that usually you still get a good sense you're like okay all right there might have been a little incident there like maybe on like if I'd been a Villa fan on Wednesday night right I'd have waited with that celebration because I had a sense that oh that might get pulled up but like I had, like I had no, like I went mad for that Martinelli goal. Very unfortunate because yep. I was right next to the United fans, and like I, I didn't <laughs> even. It was such like it was such a nothing incident that I didn't remember. I was like when they put it up on the screen, like being you know being checked. I was like, what? I didn't even remember the incident, and and it's just like it, if that's being disallowed, that means every single goal, bar none, that is scored is 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 up for doubt and that is a very that's a ludicrous and very unhealthy situation and and somehow in in a country whose football is supposed to be known for being more physical 
we have arrived at the moment where contact equals foul in all situations. And that that doesn't make it, or I should say not all situations because it's not evenly applied, but the the shame of it too is, let's be honest, the first goal in a football match is a very, very significant goal usually because it changes what each team wants to do, especially in a case like this where United were subsequently going to spend an hour under the cosh, essentially, right? Um, the spaces tighten up. Suddenly having a lot of penalty box possession but can't find your way through. They can play on the counter. Think of the Spurs game last season. That penalty is given and then a red card. You give Spurs a lead and a man advantage. There's no team in the Premier League that's going to kill you more with that situation. And so I think, look at United. United are a pretty effective counterattacking team. I thought they were ruthless. They deserve credit for that. But if we get the first goal, and what a sensational moment of brilliance of a goal it is, that matters. But but Paul, the the beautiful thing about it is, despite it being taken away, it was the moment that still changed the game because up to that point, we had been pretty passive sitting in a low block and I don't think we looked very confident or very comfortable. And then we started to push them back, press them, possess it, move the ball around, move their defenders around, and suddenly there are chances being created. Suddenly there are openings. There's Saliba on the penalty spot. There's there's Odegaard from about six yards out. There's, I mean, these are not all right when they happen, but Jesus missed the far post and and Saka had, we had a really, really good corner kick that results in Saka being wide open in the box, but just a lot of bodies and he sort of tamely rolls it instead of smashing it. Um, you know, there's obviously the Martinelli header. If De Gea doesn't make that save, I mean, think of the game we could have been talking about here for Gabriel Martinelli and Bukayo Saka, who also assists that chance. It spurned us to, spurred us to life, and I do want to spend some time. We will get to things we got wrong, but let's spend some time celebrating the things we got right. The yeah. football we played from that moment on is the football we've been seeing all season, and it was just as effective. I just think we were maybe that one little bit too hesitant to pull the trigger in the box or, or find the exact right the exact right chance to get off. We looked to be a little too precise in my view. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that. Uh, the one place we didn't play with full courage, confidence, uh, with our identity was in the box. We took the extra touch. We over-elaborated. On the other side, they made sure to get their structure in place and to clog up the box. So it was, wasn't going to be an easy task. But um, I used the analogy yesterday the, that this was a, a fine Swiss cheese of a performance. Like the cheese itself, high quality, delicious but it was one of those Swiss cheeses, you know, you get them home and they got the big holes in it, not a few little holes. Look, <laughs> the, you can't assess this performance without having it continually in your mind, but we got done on the counter, but we got mm. done on the counter. But like the times they got, they did us on the counter, we were absolutely bashing them and battering them. And it wasn't them boxing clever. Ten Hag said his goal in this uh, game was to stop us playing football. Well, how did that go? Not very well. He certainly didn't do that. No. <clears throat> no. I mean, I heard Gary Neville basically squealing in the second half with the pressure they were under before their second goal. It kind of, you can't quite say it came out of nowhere because when you look out, back on it, you can see the patterns. Uh, they get a guy into space, Erickson. Uh, he hits it to Fernandez. Rashford makes the run, but that was it. That's what they had. Now, they had a good structure on their side. Um, but Arteta, I think, what I really enjoyed about, or enjoyed, yeah, I enjoyed 
his press con his interview afterwards because he went straight to the matter he looked looked the guy straight in the eye and he said our issue was we didn't kill the game we had a period in the first half after the martinelli moment which goes right through till till halftime in which the only intermission is them getting one of their breakaway goals i'm sure we're going to talk about and then the second half we fucking battered them and the play was so good they couldn't live with it we bewitched we bewildered when we got in the box, we didn't stick the fork in it is the problem. Yeah. We almost did. We had, yeah. uh, like, Jesus was fantastic. He was going to be, even with all that was going on, he was, he was down for man of the match. Uh, you couldn't give it in the end because of how it turned out. Um, th- in general, the patterns, the patterns of play, playing out from the back was brave, courageous. We don't always play out from the back of uh, uh, kickouts, off. But we did. We played out. We played through. Um, like move after move in waves. They literally couldn't live with it. What they did was they shrank back into their box, clogged it up. And yeah, we struggled a bit to like, that's what we got to learn. When you have them on the rack for that long, it's like the Germans go into Russia. The supply lines get extended. Napoleon, same mistake. Supply lines get extended as they push on to Moscow. You leave it too long till you get there. Your supply lines are stretched out. That's Basically, an interesting point. Yeah. yeah. You start putting so much pressure on the opposition deep into their defensive third, your attacking third, into their penalty box. And by now, the, the stat is and out. Don't there, get the, the goal. And don't yep. get it, and you're getting sucked higher up the pitch, and you're getting sucked further in chasing it, and you're you're starting to lose sight of that threat behind you, and you're starting to lose sight of the the exposure that you have. And you and don't boom. get close enough to Ericsson the fifteenth time, the sixteenth time, because you're all about Jesus. We're so close. We're so close. Yeah. And and the, the stat that there's a stat going around, but I prefer to do it at fifteen minutes. From fifteen minutes on, we had forty seven penalty box uh, passes to their nine. I mean, we just lived in the penalty box. And and by the way, I said and this it on wasn't the wasn't them boxing clever. No. This was not what they wanted. Sure, they, they thought they like the result may come from a counter, but they absolutely were not just sitting there playing clever. We had them fucking twisted. And I, I want to say this because there are people that will be screaming it. The number of penalty box passes you have isn't how you win a football match. That Right? That The score is how you win a football match. And they scored three and we scored one. But Clive, the... There's a few things here that I think are notable. To, to Paul's point, just the amount of pressure that we were able to exert on them and just the number of times like Jesus would win a 50-50 or even a 60-40 he wasn't favored for. Or the number of times Bukayo Saka was able to take the ball past two players, three players, four players, right? Turn them and go. But just never got that next ball quite right. Maybe Odegaard wasn't at his scintillating best in that critical final third space and and so it didn't come but the player that I think is going to get a lot of discussion in this is Sambi Lakanga and I thought Sambi had an interesting game because on the ball I thought he was great in a way I thought he was all the things we don't get from El Nenny he was turning he was progressive he was carrying the ball past the first man he was strong in the duels he was he was good at distributing but off the ball Maybe he wasn't always blocking that passing lane when Erickson dropped in deep or Fernandez dropped in deep to get the ball. And and if you're going to play our system, the minute you cha- you lose possession, you have one of two choices: shut down the passing lanes or commit a tactical foul, or you're dead. 
And Manchester United were able to get it right just a couple of times. And I think Sambi's off the ball understanding may have been an issue. So, so do you do you think that the first inquest in terms of where it went wrong, setting aside where it went right just for a minute, is in the appreciation of the off the ball work that Sambi had to do? Do you think maybe Zinchenko's in there? What, what's your appraisal of how they were able to find these some of these openings that they exploited? Yeah, so just a bit of context. Obviously, I, I landed from holidays literally the moment they scored the goal. And then I came back and watched the second half. And I was pretty upset by Sambi. You know, I, I don't know why. I just thought I was looking for something to blame. I'm a bit upset, full stop. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And then I watched United. you got to blame someone. <laughs> and then I watched the whole game again and the second half again right today. right? So, And I've got a different view. right? So, Amen. There, there. It's, it's not. It's a collective thing. It's not a. It's not a single person thing, right? It's a collective thing. Our distances weren't. Were they weren't good? We've been very good at squeezing the pitch, not just vertically but horizontally. And and I'm afraid your boy was a big factor in the in the first goal. And it didn't squeeze Martin inside. Elliott. Yeah, it didn't squeeze inside. And so whatever we decide to do on that first goal, if if, if um, Sammy goes to pressure the ball. He jogs up, doesn't really pressure it aggressively, right? So, and then from then on in, we're now reacting to everything. It's kinetic change stuff, right? If your defenders are jumping out, they're jumping out because somebody's not there, right? So that's why they're jumping out. Not jumping out because they get bored. They're jumping out because we've got a hole. And that's what Gabriel had to do because no one squeezed over. I better go and deal with it. And everything thereafter is a, is a, is a reaction to the very first thing that went wrong. And so... I started to think about what Sambi needs to do. And the second goal really highlights what he doesn't do very well, right? So I think if you guys have played squash, right? So in squash, there's something they call controlling the T, right? And the T is the part of the court you want to control. And every time you knock the ball, you want to get back to the T to control the rally, right? I always look at the sixth position as controlling the T. You want to get the ball knocked off quickly, but don't leave that middle T, because that's how you control the game. You don't carry it into wide analogy. areas. Yeah. You don't carry it into wide areas. You control the T, right? So that's what El Nini does, boringly, right? Boringly, but he doesn't leave the middle because he understands the positional discipline required, right? So what Sambi does, I've got to be consistent here. I should say it's about Daniel Sabias. He feels himself a little bit and that's to travel with it. That's to stroke it, travel it. By the way, he had some excellent periods in this game. And I mean, excellent, okay. top draw stuff, right? But he doesn't get back to the tee quick enough. He needs to get back to the tee and control the center pitch. And you take the space away by being there. So you don't actually have to leave it when you have the ball. You can just make the ball do the work. Make the ball do the work. It'll get there quicker than you anyway. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And then control that space. That's what he has to learn if he wants to play that six, because he's got a lot of everything else. Trust me, he's got a lot of everything yeah. else. A little bit more energy, blah, blah, blah. But I felt we didn't get around him enough, and he was a little bit hard to read. That synergy that I saw in the in the um, midweek game, sorry, was it Fulham or Villa? Other way. Villa. Villa, sorry. Villa. Um, I didn't see the same thing, right? And I, and I think I, I find myself, and, and I'm not sure I'm right here. I'm going to say it, but I, I don't think I'm right. I sometimes wonder if Shaka could do that role better with his responsibility, particularly in big games away. Could he be the dad number six, the 29-year-old that sits in there? Because Sambi's a natural floater. 
He wants to float and create angles. He wants to carry it to people and create short combinations. And out we go again. And then he travels over to get around it. And he's not in the tee. And I think they jumped into that space and no one else would get in there quick enough. We couldn't contract quick enough, even from the wings, even from Sinchenko, even from Shaka, because we got into our shape. And you guys, are, you look at your stuff and so do, so do all the listeners. Our average position shape now is the same every single week. So you can literally draw it. You could draw it now every single week, looking like City or almost. And we know where people are. So if you lose it there, we can't get back. And I think teams are going to be looking at this and we've got to be careful about our offensive distances when we have the ball. We have to think what happens when we lose it. So I don't know if that makes sense. I drift a little bit, but yeah, that's what yeah, I saw I, I from think the it, game. I think that's it. I think that's absolutely it. And, and oh, by the way, I mean, you know, speaking of City, they batter Villa and they get a 1-1 draw <clears throat> because Villa get one turnover. City are out of position. There's a great finish by Leon Bai, right? They're ruthlessly efficient with their one chance and it ends 1-1. And, and that's... That's just the reality. I mean, I, I said this all preseason that I thought we were going to be a much better attacking team, but be ready. There's going to be games where we get done on long straight balls through the middle, right? That we that we see ourselves get exposed because we don't get the counter press quite right or we don't have the positioning quite right when we lost the ball. All these goals come from turnovers that didn't need to be turnovers, really. Changes of possession where we don't switch on. And like that first goal, Martinelli switched off. Sammy's not in the right space. Gabriel tries to foul the guy, but doesn't get enough of him or the ball to stop the the um, move from developing. Zinchenko makes the wrong decision to come central, and Anthony has a good finish. I, I mean, the interesting thing is, Manchester United had three chances, basically, and they were ruthless with them. And, and there's luck involved, too, because the second goal, if Ben White doesn't, clip that ball. I actually think Ramsdale saves it. So, uh, you know, it's it's just one of those days in some ways. It, it's tough, right? Because this is so much better, but also familiar. And so I'm, I'm sympathetic to the people who are like, it feels very familiar. And I also think you have to be willing to look and say it's so much better. Because it, it's, it's better, but it's familiar. Like, th- those two things are, can live side by side. And, and Tim, in terms of you know, picking out, like, a, could Sammy be better in space, or he was the reason we didn't win, or Odegaard wasn't at his best, or Zinchenko. Like, you also have to stop and say, well, wait a minute. For 75 minutes of this game, we were the dominant force. We did push them back. We did create more chances. We did control the territory. We did make their life very uncomfortable. And, oh, by the way, scored an opening goal that should have been allowed to stand, and then, you know, the game goes from there. And we did equalize. At 1-1, you could only see one winner, in my view, and it was us. So if we're going to pick on Sambi, or if we're going to pick on Odegaard or Zinchenko, those players were on the pitch when we deservedly outplayed United to 1-1 at that point in the game. And I think because we were buoyant and because we were in that attacking mode, maybe there's a switch off. The second goal is like, it's a long straight ball and Samby turns the wrong direction and suddenly they're in and it lands in just the right place where only Rashford can run onto it and Ramsdale can't come to get it and White can't get across and Samby can't use his pace. Like it's, sometimes those balls are played, uh, pardon me, Saliba can't use his pace. Thank, thank you. Yeah, Samby gets, Saliba gets turned the wrong way. Saliba can't use his pace. All these Gabriels and Samby, Saliba, like, come on, help me out here, Arsenal. But, but Tim, so I, I guess... When you look at this, between better and familiar, right? Familiar being 
oh, we outplayed United and lost 3-1 and you know we were naive and we got exposed versus better, right? We dominated possession, created the better play and more chances. Where do you find yourself falling? On the better side or on the it feels familiar side? Yeah, a little bit of both. When, when I came out the stadium yesterday, it felt familiar. Mm. Um, but with a little bit of distance and clarity, I, I would say better. It didn't, and, and I know we've seen this before at Old Trafford, but it didn't feel like sterile possession to me this time. I know we, you know, we did this a lot in the Wenger years, for example, but it didn't feel like oh, United. Did, I death. mean, yeah. yeah, and and to it, all right, to a degree, like yeah, United didn't want to dominate the ball in this game, and I saw, I've seen all the stats about how many long passes they've been doing in the last three games compared to the first three games, and Eric Ten Hag has realised that that's really the only way he can play with these players, and so by the way, he's going to fall into the the Emery conundrum of oh shit, do I not play my style with these players or do I keep persevering with my style and just wait until I get different players? Like it's, you know, but but fuck them, that's United, I don't care about them. <laughs> but I, 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 did, I did think better. Like I don't think that United entirely wanted the game to go like this. I think they did want to drop back. I think they did want to hit us on the counter. To be fair, they make a good substitution by bringing Ronaldo on because then they put... Rashford into a wide area and I think they saw look we when we did the Palace rewatch right and we were talking about that 5-5 and you look at you look at where the gaps are they're behind the fullbacks we all know that Palace knew that on the first game of the season and to be fair they've got Zaha so they play that way anyway but they were they were pinging that but that's where we leave the space that's where we're vulnerable but at the same time we brought Saliba into the team and I, I loved, for example, in the Villa game, the way that Ben White was pressing onto Digne and forcing Digne to hook the ball down the line because they were confident that Saliba would go and would go and clean yeah, it up. Clean it up. On, on on this occasion, he didn't quite. And and also, I I think you know um, I I'm I'm not going to say anything more on Sambi. I don't think because I think Clive nailed it. But you can see that like that's an important position, and we've become just a little bit destabilised there, which. You can understand when your two main guys who play there get injured. And I I do suspect that we will see potentially Xhaka and Samba, Sam, Sambi still playing. But <laughs> I agree with Clive. I wonder if we might swap them. And Xhaka went to the base of the midfield when we made the triple substitution towards the end. And I wouldn't mind betting that that's a... Yeah, this might have... It feels to me a little bit like the Elneny... Um, you know, last season, back end of last season, it felt like the light bulb, like, yeah, I think we've got to do this. Um, and maybe lose a little bit of mobility there, but have a bit more maturity. But the, the game, um, to actually answer your question now, Elliot, the game it, it reminded me most of was maybe Man City last season, the home game. Not quite at that level, because I do think there's an extent to which, you know, United stopped us getting shots off. And that there was, you've kind of got to give them credit for the way they defended because, you know, I, I, I do think they were thinking, okay, we'll let them get so far and then we'll we'll keep them out. And, I, and you know, I do think there's something to that. But Arteta talked about controlling the big moments and that's, what we, that, that's why it reminds me of that City game. It's not, we, we weren't quite as good as we were in that City game, but we didn't control the big moments. The big moments went against us, and that's that's kind of what happened here as well. And that that to me is the next phase for this team. The football's there now. The tactics there. The shapes there. 
all of that is there. The team IQ is there. It's it's some of the it's some of the the kind of soft factors. And what we've got to make sure oh. is that. Um, like last season, injuries, we allowed injuries to destabilize us. We allowed a defeat to become three defeats. This time it's got to be, you know, to quote all or nothing, Arteta, throw this in the bin, do that in the next game and you win it. If you play like that against Everton, you'll thrash them. And, and that's what we've got to keep doing. And look, we could have, when we got it to 1-1, shut up shop. We could have gone, you know, brought on holding and three, five, three, two, whatever, you know, like three, five, two, whatever, and 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 decided that appointed Old Trafford was enough. But in that moment, I think the manager and the players felt there was only going to be one winner, and it was us. And maybe just maybe we had we had lost a little bit of sight of the threat that playing a high line and pushing so high up leaves you with. And you know, you have to switch on a little bit, but. But Paul, like the, the thing with the midfield that, that I think is interesting, right, is it, it is the area of the pitch that I, we we don't control possession so much through the midfield, but we control the counter pressing and the way we defend our high line with that group. You know, you see what I'm saying? Like they they become the first wave to protect when the ball switches switches possession. And I do think yeah. the other team gets to do tactics too. And maybe Ten Hag did have a sense of where he wanted Bruno or or Ericsson to drop into to buy them just that little bit of extra time to play it longer. Because they were getting onto the ball and they were pinging some long passes. And we had the we know the ones that they succeeded with, right? And the goals they scored, but there were other ones that were that were nearly as well. Sure. I mean the the game plan was get Ericsson into a pocket of space he looks up, finds Bruno, or pumps it in behind if it's on. And most of the time we closed it down, but the more, like it's the supply lines analogy, the longer you're pushing, 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 you're going to not get to him. If you look at the first goal, the problem is not that Sambi pushed up. Thomas Party would have pushed up in that position too. We were almost man-to-man at that point. It's mm. the fact that when Sambi pushed up, he didn't make a difference. He needed to be more intimidating, aggressive, get a leg out, slow it down. And Martinella need, needed to be switched onto his man. Like everybody else was man to man. So the fact that Martinelli was walking, thinking it was everybody else's problem, Zinchenko then had two people. Like there was just, you know, everybody else bit. And then you have players who, who don't have people covering them. My uh, the big thing for me with Sambi, I think what Clive said was was brilliant. That the squash, the tea. I played a bit of squash. I told him means I wasn't able to dominate the tea. I was run around the court by pe- like a, a big guy, a big chunky guy who can no longer run but can play squash will run you all over that court, and you see it in football all the time. The DM who isn't particularly athletic running the show the thing about sambi though is he's super clever i don't know why i think that but he just exudes it um he was so good on the ball i think he was fantastic yesterday he was his own swiss cheese apart from those holes and those holes were as clive said he tends to float he tends to want to carry with the ball but he's smart so 
I I don't want us to go away. We know what Jack is in that position, and I know why we might go to that as a fallback position. But if we had brought in a new guy, we'd have to adjust to him. We have to adjust to El. It, there was a while El Nenny was not very good as a DM for us. Everybody else made their adjustments. Sambi needs to get smart here about his out of position stuff, about when you go, when you don't go. Um, it reminds me of I was on the Orient Express at one time, and I was in a carriage with. Uh, Van Helsing, yes, that Van Helsing. And I was chatting to him, and I asked him, how are you so good? Because he's basically a DM for for the team fighting the vampires, right? I'm like, mm. how do you do that so good at your age? Right? He was, he was in his 60s. And I'm like, he turns around to me, he just looks me straight in the eye, and he says, some vampires we fight, some we flee. Mm. Decision-making, Elliot. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, He's, yeah, that, that it, really brought it home for me. <laughs> you don't chase them into your lair. And so um, Sambi's just got to make those decisions a little smarter, a little better, and other people have to adjust to him. I, I'm like all in on Sambi as a – I know everybody was excited about him as an 8-10. Look, he, he's a naturally the second pivot, but he's smart enough to learn – to be the sole six yeah. with some support. And Sambi dropped in a lot. So that's what I hope we do. I know I'm projecting a little bit. And I know everybody's like, no, no, let's not do that again. But I'm with the uh, Clive's perspective of what's going on and Tim's perspective that, you know, and your perspective, that we do that in the next game, we win. Yeah. Look, look here's the other thing. When you lose... The tendency in the conversation is to say, who were the players that played poorly or what were the mistakes we made that caused us to lose? How do we not get hurt again? Right. But if you do that with this game, then you have to at least acknowledge that these 75 minutes of, you know, dominance Baby and attacking and bath possession. Baby and bathwater, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, I want us to play this exact game again against Everton, and Everton will probably have a chance or two on the counter, and we'll probably win 5-1. Uh, Clive, the, the, the interesting player here is Odegaard to me in a way, though, because... This, this is where you don't know what's tactics and what's individuals. Odegaard, so, so I've seen some people saying they didn't think he had a very good game. He misses a clear chance. Outside of that, I'm not sure he does much wrong, but other than the soft foul that he gives away to, to rob us of a, a great goal. Um, the joke. But Jesus was dropping really deep in this game. If you look at his heat map, it looks like a Lacazette heat map from last season. He really was coming into midfield. And Odegaard was doing less of that. And I wonder if there was an instruction, if there was something that that he, that Mikel felt Odegaard could exploit in the way United defender, someone he wanted Odegaard to be positioned against and, and he could bring Jesus back. Jesus did brilliantly when he dropped deep, right, to collect the ball and, and drag us up the pitch. It, it's incredible how he does it. But I thought it was noticeable that he was a little bit further from goal in this game, a little bit deeper. And that may also contribute to why, with all the advanced possession we had, we maybe didn't feel we had the focal point in the box. The irony is the goal we get, there's Jesus right on the penalty spot, right, Com contesting a challenge, and, and it, it falls to Saka for the goal. So how do you think about the game Odegaard had and, and maybe the extent to which he and Jesus swapped some responsibility with, with Gabriel Jesus dropping so deep so often? Yeah, so I think... I thought Jesus was unbelievable. I, I actually Fantastic. thought he was the best. I thought he was the best player on the pitch, and it yep. wasn't even close for me. Right, so the stuff he was doing was a joke. He got fouled eight or nine times, I think, earlier, and I read it earlier, which is now. And 
The he McTominay tackle, I, th- that was insane. And, and, and like, he should have been on a yellow earlier. I don't know how that guy gets through games. It's, it's So I think Man United made 13 fouls and eight or nine were on Jesus. So if you want to know who's the, who's the one, who's the man, it's him. Right. And um, he's heat map. I just checked it as you were talking. Well, he's everywhere. <laughs> he's literally left, right, center, deep, high. I haven't got, a, mm-hmm. I haven't got a problem with him at all. My only worry with him is, please just look after yourself, mate. You know, every challenge isn't the last challenge in the history of mankind. There'll be another one in a minute. Mm-hmm. Look after yourself because we need you. You know, we really need you. And you are literally, apart from that big bloke in Manchester City, for me, he's the most transformative centre forward in the league. You know, it's just incredible yeah. what he's done to the the club, the belief, the fans. In a strange way, there are many people that believe in Arsenal more now after the defeat than they did and after the five wins. Right, so yeah. and because of what we did and how we did it in this game, but for me, Odegaard, I thought I've, I've noticed with him, if the build up to a game is not perfect, he is not perfect. When he's hot and he's fit and he's ready, not not coming back for his national break, if he's carrying a knock into a game, he's never tip top. He played really well, but I thought he epitomised a little bit where we went wrong. There used to be a Wenger saying he used to call us sometimes we are a bit playerish. And remember that saying, playerish? We used to mm-hmm. play about a bit. Look for the perfect goal. Don't take the shot. I thought we were a bit playerish around the edge of the area. I thought there was opportunity to be more direct. I thought he got out of that by taking shots. He scored goals. I'm not going to over-critique him. And some of, the, some of the stuff we did in this game was just unbelievably technical and quick and fast and brave because they were coming studs up for us. And he was all part of that. But I felt when we got around the, the edge of the area, I felt we didn't just want to beat them. I thought we wanted to paint a beautiful picture while we did it. We wanted to announce ourselves. And there's something in all us fans and in the players, we know we're good and we want to show you that we're good and we're desperate to show you that we're good. And that desperation left us open and maybe made us made some bad decisions. There's something that come out of all nothing for me. The number one thing that come out of it for me was emotion and love. There's an emotional group here and there's a lot of love within it. And they are desperate to share a lovely moment together. You can feel it. When Saka scored that goal, they wanted to go and get another one. They just didn't want to even celebrate it. If you notice, sometimes when they score, they stay together a little bit longer and they talk and they discuss what they're going to do next. I wish they'd have done it on this occasion. Stand there. Think about what you're going to do next. Calm the F down. Calm down. Don't let love take you places that you can't yeah. recover from. It felt like that to me. It really did feel like that to me. And I, and I could see it developing, developing. When you watch it again, trust me, when you know it's going to happen, you can see it coming. We are desperate to do so well that we actually hurt ourselves. Do you know what I mean? And got punished for every mistake that we made. So I think I've got a better perspective now a day later. But that's how I felt from rewatching today. And um, but you know Don't what? You let can't criticize. You places. Don't you yeah. can't criticize a team for wanting it as much as we do. That's exactly what we want. Exactly what we want. Yeah, I mean, you can have all the love in the world, but you still have to do the work. You still have to have the focus. And I think, it, like a great example, right? You can have love, but you still need shaved privates. You still need it. Sometimes even more. I just had my ninth anniversary. Of course I love my wife. Still have to put in the work. And that means using the lawnmower 4.0. And you should use it too. Because it's going to do the work for you. I was talking to some guys 
last night, hanging out with friends, got around to talking about Manscaped, as you do. One of the guys said, oh, I nicked myself so bad the other day. I got this razor in my shower. I said, why, why aren't you using the lawnmower 4.0? He's like, I don't know. I don't have a good reason not to. And that's the point. If you do any kind of personal grooming, you should be using a tool that's good at it. It's just crazy. Like, I mean, think about the razors you use to shave your face. They've gotten so good. They've gotten so good. You wouldn't use one from like the 1930s, right? It was like made of stone, like a craggly stone that they just dragged across their face. No, now you got like a seven blade masterclass and taking the hair. Well, you got the same thing for your private, so use it. It's called the Lawnmower 4.0. It is a 9,000 RPM motor, skin safe technology with ceramic blades. It's got a light so you can see what you're doing. It's wet, dry, works in the shower, long battery life. I don't, I, I can't remember the last time I had to charge mine. And then it does have the induction charger, so you can just set it in the cradle and charge it. And when you get the Lawnmower 4.0, you might as well go the whole hog, so to speak, and get the performance package, and you can get the toners and the deodorants and the, the, shed travel bag and you get the weed whacker which is a a a phenomenal tool for nose and ear hair which as you get older you may find you need and all you have to do to to do all that is go to manscaped.com and use promo code arsenal vision to get 20 percent off and free delivery 20 percent off free delivery with promo code arsenal vision at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free delivery at manscaped.com use promo code arsenal vision celebrate a new season of the beautiful game with your new beautiful balls is what it said i have to read it is what it is guys Guess what? Champions League soccer is back. Streaming on Paramount Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration starts September 6th with the biggest stars, top teams, and craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time, and stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live starting September 6th exclusively on Paramount Plus and the Europa League, which starts this week with star-studded club, Arsenal Football Club, playing FC Zurich live on Paramount+. Plus. Come on, it's an Arsenal podcast, people. And last but not least, if you're building a great team, you need the best talent. The way you get the best talent is you use Indeed. That's right, three of them today, people. We're growing. We're all growing together. Indeed is the one hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place instead of spending hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills. You can do it all on Indeed. Look, you know about Instant Match. You know about assessments. You know about virtual interviews. But let me remind you about Instant Match. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who just see it and search. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away, and you only pay when the candidates who match your must-have requirements apply. So... With Instant Match, you can start hiring fast. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent. Indeed knows that when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to hire now. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms of supply and cost for application price is not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need a dealer! Is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Tim, I have a criticism of Mikel Arteta. (laughs) Get out. Mikel Arteta. Burn the witch. Crap. (laughs) Triple substitution that I didn't like. It's not any of the individual players or any of the individual reasons. 
All the players that came off, maybe there were some fitness concerns. All the players that came on, they need to get minutes because they're going to be important because we're getting to the Europa League and they're going to be playing. I don't necessarily have a problem with any of the changes. I do think suddenly you got guys out there who have literally never played in Vieira's case in a cauldron, down a goal, everyone's shifting. Martinelli's going to wing back and Vieira's going up here and Shaq is dropping back. And like, I just, I just feel that, forget that we then conceded the third. Forget that. I still really believe the group on the pitch was going to solve it and we were going to get the second. I really felt like United were still not coping with us. And the time it took us to come to terms with the switch, the the, the triple substitution, I think just took the game away from us. And it's not because any of the guys that came on were particularly not good or that I I don't understand the rationale behind any of the individual swaps. It's the trio of them at once in that situation felt destabilizing. So tell me why I am wrong. (laughs) <laughs> no, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I completely understand that. Like, um, I, I don't necessarily think you're wrong. I, let, let's start with what I think the rationale was for it. First of all, yeah, I think all of the players that came, well, two of the players that came off fitness concerns, 100%, probably a large element to which it was predetermined that those players were not going to be able to finish the game. I always think Sambi was going to get hooked, basically, just because probably at a stage where 90 minutes is probably a bit much for him at the moment and, you know, 75 and then switching Xhaka to the base of the midfield for the last 15. Again, probably unless he was having an absolute stormer, I think there was an element to which that was always going to happen. Now, I, I take your point and think probably if Arteta could have his time again, he might stagger those substitutions over a period of 10 minutes. But then again, I think there's an argument that that's even more destabilising and that actually you might as well do all three at once and then it takes three or four minutes rather than you do one, it takes a couple of minutes, you do two. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I do mm-hmm. think there's a logic to doing them all at once rather than doing three of them in six minutes, for example. I, I think the other reason he did it was because he rolled the dice at Fulham last week. Like the moment they scored, Eddie on for Tierney and it worked to treat. And, yeah. and I think there was an element to which it was a repeat action. It was, well, this worked last week. Uh, I, I appreciate it wasn't a triple sub, but he did the same thing with the shape of the team. Went three at the back. This is obviously something they worked on, as Clive said on previous podcasts. It's something they went to in pre-season a couple of times. Clearly, this is their plan B at the moment. This is their kind of, right, we're going for it. They either, and, and the left back comes off and they go to a wing backs, but not really wing backs. And they go from there. The, the thing is, and it's not insignificant, Man United score. And probably as a result, um, you know, I, I do think the fact that there, were, there weren't really full backs at that point. Um, I do also think we're within a whisker of getting away with it, Ben White. And actually Ben White in the Fulham game makes a block. I don't know if you remember at 1-1. He makes a block just yep. after we equalise and and it went for us. And then literally a week later, very similar. We left ourselves a bit open. We didn't get away with it this time. So I think generally speaking, if again, it's the same. It's almost like an analogy for the performance. If we keep doing it, I think we'll get rewarded more often than not. Um, maybe that's just because I've got Stockholm Syndrome from the Wenger years where we did it a lot. And my impression of that time was, Sometimes it didn't work and it sucked, but quite often it did, and it's it's kind of a numbers game as well. So, I, I do I do think there were some there, there were some pieces um, to this. I think 
I think I guess more my overall concern is if you look at the last few games, we have been letting teams back into the game when we've been on top. We conceded against Fulham when we shouldn't have. We conceded against Leicester when we shouldn't have. We conceded against uh, uh, Villa when we shouldn't have, when we were on top. Now, on each of those occasions, we were able to score straight away. But I guess, in hindsight, you'd say that that was a bit of a warning sign that we've been letting teams score kind of crappy goals when we've been when we should have been out of sight anyway. And I guess the you know the addendum is this time. They're a, they're, this is a slightly better team um, than those teams and they're yeah. playing at Old Trafford and they're really good on the counter and stuff like that and, and maybe we played into their hands a bit. So the substitution, I think it's an isolation thing anyway. I certainly wouldn't call anyone an idiot who thought that, um, but I, I do think there's an element to which once you roll the dice and you kind of got to roll the dice, even if, Elliot, you do it like the way you th- you you know the way you were talking about there like let's just keep doing this S- something personnel wise had to change probably for fitness reasons and i do think there's a bit of an adjustment but i don't know the the tldr um of this point is basically look yeah we got caught on this yeah. one it's undeniable like they scored just after we did it so bang to rights governor but i i do kind of think um i hope we do it again next time that i guess that's what i'd say yeah, it's it's tough. The one thing I'll say about the we've been letting teams back in the game thing, I want to differentiate that from last season when we'd take a lead and then sink into our shell and let teams back in the game by letting them have the ball and push us back and you know get a feel for the game and get into the game. These this season, yes, teams have gotten jammy goals off us, you know when they probably shouldn't have, but that's the point. Like they're they're against not the run of play. Yeah, they're against the run of play, exactly. They're not through allowing them back into the game. Like the Villa one's a weird corner kick that maybe shouldn't have stood. And I, I don't I don't have as much problem with that as what we we're doing last season where it felt like we got too passive in the game state when when we had taken a lead. So I, I mean, Paul, I, I will I will get your take on on that period where we played with the subs. The thing I'll say about their third goal, it's really clever, right? Because it's the late run from midfield that fools the offside trap. And you can't be offside, obviously, from your own half. So it's a free run. But at that point, we're playing suicide line, right? Like the defenders are standing on the halfway line. And anytime you do that, you better be confident of being able to win a straight sprint with the opposition player because they can't be offside then. You you can't hold an offside line at the halfway line, uh, an offside trap at the halfway line. You, you just can't because the, the, they can take as deep a run as they want and just run into the opposition half as long as the ball's launched there. And so... That's you know that's a dangerous game to play and we got burnt. But do you do you have a sense on on the the substitution? Maybe not. Okay, maybe not. Whether it's smart t- to make. How, how about how they played? Because I think Vieira had an interesting cameo. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I'll say quickly on the subs. What I wanted uh, was for us just to do the Eddie you're, sub. You're suddenly much more into your microphone, and and while oh, I okay. love hearing your your right. sonorous voice, uh, yes, I, I'm looking at Tim there, and he's like, I can only see like his ears with the microphone. I'm like, maybe I'll do that a little bit. I'll bring it a little closer. I mean, if you um, want to block your face, no one's going to complain. But I still yeah. want the vocal level to stay consistent. Sure. Um, yeah. So, like, I just wanted the Eddie sub, right? Uh, do what we did last week. Now, there may have been some realities there that somebody had to come off, but I would have loved five or ten minutes of, let's just give them one more problem in the attacking line and keep every everything else was functioning so well. 
Uh, whoever needs to come off right now, bring them off. If that's Odegaard, if that's Sinchenko, whoever's hitting that wall, keep everything, keep as many moving parts the same. Now, maybe there were multiple things going on at the same time. And if I were the manager in that spot, I would have done the same thing. But that's footballistically. Just give me the Eddie sub for now. Make the make three subs, two subs in five, ten minutes' time if it's not doing what I thought it was going to do. Um, yeah, look, the did anybody see match of the day, the Troy Deeney analysis? Man. I, I, I saw some really shit Roy Keane analysis about just yeah, yeah, yeah. about the points. And someone, I can't remember who it was, was like, Gabriel Jesus just needs to score goals. He needs yeah. to come here and score goals. Like, why didn't he score goals? Like, thank you for <laughs> Jimmy that. Jimmy Floyd so Hasselbank, who's just resigned it, from um, the being Burton Albion manager. And so, yeah, I think they might be bottom of the league too. So, mate, on your way, son. On your way. Yeah, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank <laughs> with the, I hope you enjoyed your Sky Sports subscription. Gabriel Jesus should score goals. Bravo. Yeah. Sorry, Paul, go ahead. Well, that wasn't where I was going with this. Um, <laughs> very, very frustratingly and disappointingly, I think Troy Deeney might be a top-notch analyst with a smart mind and uh, ability to elucidate his points eloquently. Um, you wash your mouth out. <laughs> I know. It was very, very painful for me. I wanted him to be a Dumbo. Uh, he's really smart. Anyway, well, he carved that. Did he say something nice about us? <laughs> no. His point on that was like, uh, that's a situation in which when there's no pressure on the ball, this is the, uh, isn't it Fernandez pumps it through to Ericsson and makes the run. When there's no pressure on the ball, you got to drop. And uh, now you can disagree either way, but it's a very interesting discussion uh, that, that many in the biz would say, yeah, if you're going to play the... If you're going to play the offside line, uh, there are times when you got to drop. And like if they get it just right, juste bien, as they say in the French Goldilocks, and they did, they're going to have you on toast. Even Ericsson will out sprint you because he's going in one direction. And we obviously didn't get it right. Uh, he's actually in their half when the ball's played. So actually, the he might be taking advantage or it might have been of his motivation that that you, you can't be offside in your half, but by the time the contact comes to the ball, I think he's like five yards, three, four, five yards into their box. Certainly Ben White is, and he's just passed him. And uh, yeah, as Clive's saying in the comments, it's a split-second decision, so I wouldn't beat anybody up over this. It's good analysis, though, right? Um, and what it really highlights is the real issue. No pressure on the ball. And if there's no pressure on the ball with Fernandez and Ericsson and those guys making the runs... Rashford, suddenly confident, they're going to get you a couple of times, so you got to get the pressure on the ball. But that's kind of back to my point earlier, picking up on what Arteta said, which is when you have all of that play, all that dominance, and you don't score, uh, your supply lines are going to get stretched, people are going to not press at a key moment, and you're going to get done. Really, you could boil this game down to we battered them and we didn't score and get ourselves in front. And when we got back to level, we didn't score again quick enough uh, because we were so front-footed and dominant. If they just escaped a couple of times with those guys, we were going to get hurt, and we did. It is one of the oldest truisms about football. You have to make your periods of dominance count. Yeah. You have to. And, I mean, ask Manchester City about that with their 1-1 they just got against Villa. 
Ask Liverpool about it in the game they played against United. You know, I mean, this this game felt to me a lot like the way Spurs beat City. You know, they just hold on enough and then the moment comes and they're absolutely ruthless with it. United deserve credit. They had three openings and they were as good as you can be in executing in those three moments. And we had a lot of moments where we were in the positions we needed to be in and we weren't as good at executing. So, but I would rather be the team that's got 70% of the game spent in the attacking third with the belief that I'll find my way through than the team that gets, you know, three openings in a game. So it just depends how you want to view it. And if you want to view this as we were naive and we got caught and it's familiar, like I said, I, I, I cannot argue with that. The, the thing about who we are at the moment, I firmly believe this. I think we are a totally new, I think we are a totally new proposition. Yeah. I think we are an attacking force. I think we are a force for possessing the ball, pushing teams back, and causing them all kinds of problems. I have no doubt this is not the last time this season we're going to see ourselves getting caught out the back. And by the way, not to be doomy, but like there was a moment there the last 10 or 15 minutes I thought it might go to 4-1 or 5-1 because we were starting to get really stretched and really, really want to show that we could get back in this game and we were not minding the shop. And like that when, when Shaka slides at the touchline and misses it, I mean, it's one pass and they're in to Ronaldo and thankfully the pass isn't good and 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 Ramsdale gets there. But so I think I think we wrote our luck towards the end a little bit. Clive, do you have any do you have any takeaways from the from the sub performance? I think the one people yep. have their eye on is Vieira because it's our first look at him. And I I think there's some encouraging stuff there, but it, I also think reading too much into it might be a mistake. No, 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 I think he's going to be the best player in the world. Uh, so, I, like I normally do. Well, no, but uh, I knew think, that. So, did this change anything about what we already knew? No, it just confirmed it for me. And so, basically, on the subs thing, full stop. Mm-hmm. Again, I watched it today, and not to sound like Paul, I watched it today, and actually, we lost our shape before the substitutions. Interesting. We okay. we were ragged almost the moment we scored, and the point, you know. The point Tim made, which we haven't really dwelt on, is the key point, which is is about our maturity, you know, and how we react in moments of positivity and negativity. That is the last step for this team. It's not about ability anymore. It's not about physicality anymore, because we've added that. We've even added a little bit more wisdom with the two, you know, four league winners, four time league winners into our first eleven. Right, but they're still they're starting to to recognise it, and that maturity to manage the last step to overcome one of these big games, particularly away from home, it was close, and we didn't quite have it. And I think that is the key thing. I did a pre-season podcast with Andrew, and, and he said to me, "What do you hope for this season?" And I did say, "I want to see as as maturity in our thinking to how we play." Because I haven't forgotten Newcastle and Spurs away. I just haven't forgotten how that felt and how immature we were on those occasions when the emotion was high. The emotion was high yesterday and we didn't quite have it again. So that's the next thing we have to do. Somebody, we have six games in and a couple of home games we've had have been so emotional. They've been so amazing for like Fulham at home. You know, what are we talking about here? Villa at home. I've been at those games before. They weren't like this. You know, so there's a lot of emotion around. There's a lot of it around. And our ability to manage it is the key thing. So while shape had gone before the subs, mate, honestly, it was it was a it was mm. a it's starting to be a bit more basketball and the subs came in and we never got a chance to see it. 
because literally first attack from a throw, they're scored. I mean, literally from a throw-in. I mean, so we never even got a chance to assess what it's going to look like. So on Vieira, just briefly, I think, you know, when we're winning every single game and we had that first 11 all out on the pitch, nice and fit, playing once a week, I sort of said the solutions for our season are on the bench because we're going to hit a rock in the road and we'll be looking to those players on the bench and seeing what solutions are, what they can do to evolve this team tactically because we're going to need a different face. And this guy is going to be a big part of that because he can play, he can, he can, you can see he can play our football. He plays our way. He moves it our way. His brain is the same as the rest of them. But he, he has a level of directness at the moment, which is quite interesting. That pass into Martinelli from right side to left back post, my goodness. I can barely see that from my set E. So how has he seen that at ground level? Right? So I I think we've got something there with him. How we introduce him is going to be really interesting. But I think I can see a position for him where Shaka plays, actually. That's what I can see, but in some games, and as a, as a Saka rester on on occasions for minutes, but I can't help but feel we've got we've got better eights than Shaka, even though he's doing brilliant, but we don't have a better six than Shaka at the moment. If you see what I mean, and I just think not. I mean, I'm torn, Elliot. I'm torn because we should be developing young players, and you can't develop them unless you play them. So if I'm picking a team for my life, I'm putting Shaka at six. If I'm managing Arsenal Football Club, managing assets, and managing our future development, should we just keep doing what we're doing and make sure and, and let Sambi learn live on TV? It's a debate, right? I, I, the problem I still have with that, and, and maybe these are old, outdated opinions about the player, but there was one moment where Shaka picked up the ball just, and I, I hope someone will remember when this was. He picks up the ball, he gets the ball in a tight space just short of the midway line the halfway line and there's a counter on there. There's, there's space. He can't get, he can't drive through the hole. Like he, there's two players on either side of him. There's room to go through it or to make that progressive pass. But he j- just, the agility and the tempo there. D- d- does anyone remember this moment? It's yeah, a- I was halfway I, I, through the first half, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and again, th- yeah, go ahead, please. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mate. I d- this please, is, please. Shaq has been, Shaq has been brilliant. There's no drama here, yeah. right? He's no been brilliant. Question. But in the end, players form will choose the team. And if, and if yeah. Vieira comes into this team and starts doing stuff that we all like, we'll, we'll select it. We'll select the team for the manager. Don't worry about that. Everyone yeah. will do it yeah, yeah. and say he has to play. That's the nature of the beast, right? And so, and we'll be shuffling people around. That's what happens, right? And so we for me, paid five million for him. There was a real fee for this player. He, he was brought yeah. in to play, you know? And when he got bought, everyone said, how did Arsenal pull that off? That's who, mm-hmm. that's a great, Tim's nailed it brilliantly in the comments. You know, Ben White, 50 million quid, right? Sleeper comes in, six foot 100, runs like the wind. You've got to move people about. Completes 97% of his passes every game. You've got, you got to move Ben White out, out 10 yards to the right, son. On you go. Because this guy has to play. And it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. But it's up to the players to do it. We can't do it for them. They have to perform on the day. And this is coming. It's just a matter of when and how, what the steps are, right? So that's it. And and I, I thought Arteta made some good comments in his post-match, post-match comments. Like I think, you know, he said, this is the game, we, you know, we want to play this game. We, we played our game, and if we play, you know, we, we believe that if we, because they were asked, you know, will this hurt the confidence? You know, will this be a setback? He's like, no. Because we know we put in the performance. We played our game. 
in the big, big, you know, at, at this level, at Old Trafford against Manchester United in the Premier League, the big moments decide the game. What were the big moments for us? A beautiful goal disallowed by VAR. A header for Martinelli that's brilliantly saved by De Gea. A clean, clear chance for Odegaard that's sliced wide. What are the big moments for them? One lapse in concentration off the ball and they're in and they score all three of them. And that, you know, that is that is it. We, and and Mikel said we, we lack the discipline to defend certain spaces. And I think that is it. That is the thing he's still got to get right. But there's so many patches of this that are good. Tim, in terms of that, that issue of like a Vieira coming in or someone coming in. Do you, do you think we're going to find that out soon? I mean, we've got Zurich coming up. I, I imagine Vieira might be in line to start that game now. We're going to get a look, maybe at like even a Marquinhos, because there's just not a lot of players to start these games. But we're going to get a look at like a Vieira. And if there's a level up that that Mikel thinks we can go still, he may be one player that, that has a look at that. I'll, I do want to answer Clive's one point, though, about Shaka at six versus like a Sambi. In most games, I still think it's how we control and progress the ball. And I do think that Sambi did a good job of that in this game. And so not every game is going to be away at Old Trafford, right? Home to Everton, for example, I still want the guy who's going to control and possess the ball and, and move it up the pitch. So I'm I'm fine if Party's not available and he might be with Sambi starting. But do, do you think do you think Vieira has a chance to to put himself into the frame? through the Europa League, or is that a stretch? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this is where we're going to get the benefit of the Europa League that we didn't get last season. So Sambi, for example, he can play six. in Like, Sambi should 100% start in number six on Thursday night against Zurich because mm. he needs to relearn the position. And we can do that for him in a game that's of lower consequence that we should control and let's face it we should win so that's the advantage and like I've said a few times this Europa League campaign it's so condensed the games are pretty much every week so it's not like when it used to stretch out into mid-December and it was a game every three weeks if you're in the Europa League team you get a nice rhythm of games now and like like Sambi is a player who should be playing those Europa League games, even if that makes us vulnerable to an injury there, because he needs those minutes, I think. Yeah. And and for Vieira, the same. What's really interesting to me about Vieira, I've, I've got, it's completely uninformed hunch, but I've got a hunch that, that really he's kind of earmarked for that Xhaka role. That, that maybe that's that we'll we'll let him learn it. Let him learn it in the Euro. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where he starts on Thursday, like where he starts and whether it's Marquinhos on the right, whether once he gets fit again, Reese Nelson, Marquinhos share that kind of that right wing. Because effectively what Vieira does at the moment is he he covers for three of the absolute lock players in our starting eleven in Saka, Erdegaard and Xhaka, if he was back up for only one of those players, and this is the weakness we had last season, if they don't get injured, he doesn't see any time. That's what happened to Sambi. The guys in his position didn't get injured, didn't get any game time until it came to an absolutely critical point of the season. And so if Vieira's only backing up one of those players... Unless they get injured, he's not seeing any minutes. A, he'll get minutes in the Europa League. B, he's kind of backing up three of them, I think. And therefore, he's got more opportunities to stay in touch with the team. I, I'd really like to see him play in the eight on Thursday night. I, I do think that there's, you know, there's an opportunity um, there, particularly if... Look, all of the evidence we have so far suggests that Arteta is not entirely convinced by Sambi, right? That's why we tried to bind 
by Douglas Louise on deadline day. Mm-hmm. Sambi's probably third, maybe fourth choice for that left eight role, and he was third choice for the number six role, and we tried to sign someone else. So all of the available evidence tells you that Arteta, at the very least, doesn't think he's ready. Probably, if we're 100% honest and brutal about it, he probably still has questions about the player. And so he's got an opportunity to answer that, but so's Vieira, because Vieira should be looking at this and going... I can take him out of the team and yeah, maybe we can switch to to Xhaka at the six and I can have that role. But there is potentially, like I'm not taking Saka's role. I might understudy him. I'm not taking it. I'm not taking Erdegaard's role. Those those are roles are not up for grabs. But if I'm Vieira, I'm thinking, okay, I can, I can take Sambi out of the team by having a little switch. And, and that's what I think is interesting. There is an opportunity for him there, I think. Yeah, I, I would say this. We play... Two, three, five. And that front five, Saka, Odegaard, Jesus, Martinelli, I'll put them up against anybody in the league bar maybe City. Maybe maybe Liverpool's in there. I, I don't know. I don't know that they are. It's a little different because you'd have to put almost like Alexander-Arnold as one of their five in, in a sense. But, well, that Clive is type, that's four. That's a very keen observation. I have named four players because what I was going to say is, but the fifth is Saka. And he's done brilliantly. If it's Vieira, if he's what we think he could be, an Odegaard on the left side in the left eight, now think of that five. Vieira, Odegaard, Martinelli, Saka, Jesus. The devastation you can have there, both in creativity and end product, is is sensational. Now, there's a reason Shaka plays and plays there because not only can he learn a position that may not be the perfectly suited position for him, but because he understands when he needs to drop into the left pocket of, of defensive space because Zinchenko's come into the half space. He understands when he has to drop back to help cover central midfield. He has a really good feel for where he needs to be. And oh, by the way, he is a leader. He is a leader of these guys. And you're talking about replacing him with another kid. But it's a kid that gives you <laughs> a think- lot of different dynamics, Paul. And that that's... The, the There has never been a question in my mind that the next step up where we could go further into what we're able to do here is going from Shaka to a more natural eight. That's not because Shaka hasn't been playing well. It's just I think it's an opportunity. So is, is that Vieira's, is that his position to go target and go get and make us I, better? You know, I, I think it probably is. Um, but I just can't help listening to us. And I don't disagree with anybody with Tim, with you. Um, uh, but it's like that scene in Monty Python where it's like, bring out your dead. And they've got, uh, they keep throwing Chaka on the cart. And uh, Chaka says, I'm not, I'm not dead. dead yet. I'm getting better. And the better. guy picks he up is getting better, by the way. and smacks him over the head. <laughs> like, I love it because every time we say, you know, he's not, he, like, he responds. I don't know how he does it. He's but a player of the really- season candidate so far, Paul. He's been, he's been brilliant. Yeah, and I picked him for some reason as my breakout player, like nobody would ever heard of him. But like just to surprise for this season, just because he keeps doing it, um, you know, this was a little quieter game for him. I think he dropped in a lot beside Sambi to help Sambi out. Maybe that, yep. maybe he didn't shine quite as much. In the, maybe he had a lot of stuff to keep his eye on and let other people do their things. A lot of the the genius was coming up the right-hand side. The poetry was the right-hand side. We were trying to keep it a little tighter on the left. Uh, but yeah, I do actually think the most natural position for Vieira is on as the left eight. But 
he's all like I saw him in that under twenty one game, <clears throat> and he looked like an under twenty one player. Not in terms of skill and ability, but like he didn't pop out of that game as like uh, like. And now it was only whatever four or five minutes of. of no, actually, they showed that one live. So I, I saw a good chunk of that game. That's why I thought I had. I had. I saw the second half of it, or the half he was on. And, like, he was good. But, like, he's... Uh, and that's not a measure of who he is. He's just settling. He's just arrived. This is his first game. But physically, he's very slight. So unless he's really settled in and really playing, I think he'll get lost in a few games at this point in the season. Like, Interesting. They'll just run past him. But his time will come. That time could be, Europa League's going to be great for him. Um, he'll come along. But I still think it's probably next season. For those people rubbing their hands, thinking, uh, bring out your dead, throw Jack on the top, smack on the head with the stick, they might have to wait another season or so. But yeah, I do actually think that's the most... Na- that and, and Odegaard's spot are his most natural spots. And this is the hard part. This is why you've got to be really sensible when you analyze football. Because whatever you want to say about, well, this clearly doesn't work, or Sambi's this, or is that like, we're top of the league. We have a plus seven goal difference through six games. We have 14 goals scored, right? That's a lot of goals. Seven allowed. The only teams that have scored more goals than us, City and Liverpool. And Liverpool got nine of their 15 in one game. We're third in expected goals. We are narrowly behind City for the second meanest defense in the league, right? So all this hand-wringing about, oh, they scored three goals and we were naive. Like, our defense is not given a lot away. And, oh, guess what? Granite Shaq has started every one of those games for that team that has one of the best attacks and one of the best defenses and tops the table. You, you just can't, you, you can't look at how we played and and not just the results, but the performances. Baby and, and bathwater. Exactly, and not, and not accept that every one of these pieces is a part of it. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, we we're talking about was this better or was this familiar? I get the familiarity, but the familiarity is more a time of Arsene Wenger, where we were actually a really good team, finishing top four every season, scoring a lot of goals, but we were occasionally naive. You know what's familiar? Familiar is Brighton away last season. Familiar is Newcastle away last season. That's the recent familiar. Familiar is Palace away last season. Familiar is the games where we showed up and got pushed back and got dominated and couldn't get our foot on the ball and couldn't complete three sequences of passing. Familiar is Palace at home last season where we took an early lead and looked good and then we just sunk back into our own defensive third and couldn't complete three passes in a row for 50 minutes while Palace got back into the game and nearly beat us, except for Lacazette's one open play goal. for the, Actually, I think it was an own goal. But, but the point is, that's familiar. Familiar isn't we're dominating at Old Trafford and, and they score some counters. That's familiar if you're talking 2012. But the recent familiar is Brighton away, Palace away, Newcastle away. And this ain't that. And we don't look like that anymore. We don't look cowed. We don't look bullied. We don't suck back into our own defensive third and try to play long balls. And 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 I just, I think that this is sustainable for results over time. Paul and I were talking on the Instant Reaction, Clive, that he thinks 23 wins gets us top four. I'm not convinced. We're going to get 23 wins if we play this way. And so now the question is, is top four a good enough goal? And so I'll ask you this because we were talking about this off mic before we started. I was doing an exercise in my mind saying, let's say I could just swap our squad with another squad in the Premier League. Just swap it. Take theirs. They take ours. You'd probably do it with City. You have to be honest. You'd do it with City. Is there another one you'd definitely do it with? Would you do it with Liverpool's 
maybe aging out of their best squad. I'm not sure. I wouldn't do it with Spurs because they're just Spurs players. You can't do that. But all kidding aside, like they got two really good attacking players who are overage. And no, would you do it with Chelsea's mess? No, I wouldn't do it with United. So I don't think there's anything wrong with saying we should go on and finish second or third in this league at a minimum fourth because I wouldn't swap this squad with anyone bar City potentially. So I don't know. I'll ask you. Do you see another squad that you would you would swap this one out for? <laughs> you can't ask an Arsenal man like me who supported it since the 30s. That, you that I don't want another squad. Those, you don't want those Chelsea players? You don't want to take all the Chelsea players? Um, I, I, as I said in the, in, in the comments, right, every time we lose a game, we try to retire Shaka every time. And because, because what we're really doing is we're looking for developmental opportunities. That's what we're really doing. Right, so we're looking at the team, saying, "How can we develop? How can we not let this feeling happen again?" We're not going to lose thirteen games again this season. I'm pretty confident of that because I think we've added a level of robustness. I think we've 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 ingrained our way of playing even more. Right, so we're faster, we're more physical, we're more intense. That's been the and our distances have been excellent in this game. Structurally, we were a little bit looser. Uh, and Manchester United very well on the, you know, my regain retain thing, first two passes. The first two passes hurt us. We didn't respect their first two passes enough. They did a lot to foul us and stop us and counter foul us. And in England, it's okay to counter foul Arsenal, I'm afraid. That's what happens at Old Trafford. We have a history of this happening to us, right? So, and it, and it really hurt us. And they didn't get the bookings to stop that happening. They did it the entire game. You know, and then change people, and then they did it, and that really that stopped us dominating the game even more, right? So, um, so yeah, I think we're 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 a coming force, um, but I've been here before, and I've always felt we were two players short. I think almost from my entire Arsenal supporting life, we've been two players short, and how we manage that two player gap and the luck we have with injuries is the key to the season for me. Because there are some teams which are built for now. There's a window of opportunity opening up for us if we layer on top of this group. And I'm talking a serious window of opportunity. We need a bit of fortune to get to the next step. If we get to that next step in a very competitive league, which is the top four, then watch this space. You know, there's a real window yeah. here if, if, we, if we sign these players up, which I'm sure we will do. I mean, if you look at the trajectory of Martinelli and you look at what Jesus already is and you look at what we think Saka can be and how Odegaard's, but like, it, suddenly you're like, we, we could have the best attack in the league or, or right there with City. Like, it's, there's a lot here for us. But Tim, let me just ask you one thing about frustration. Is there a part of you that wishes when we got that equalizer that we had decided to maybe just see discretion as the better part of valor, shut up shop for a bit, protect it? I, I think it would have been hard because the players were so buoyant at that moment and we had been so dominant that it, it would have been a very weird change to try to make to play a little more within ourselves at that point. But it, is, that, is that the naivety that, that, will, that will bother some people that you've got it back to level at Old Trafford, you've outplayed them, at a minimum don't lose the game now because you've, you've fought back to this point. You deserve to win it, but don't lose it. Do you think, are you okay with going to try to win it in a game you've dominated or do you, do you wish there had been a little bit more circumspection about the way we finished out the game 
I mean, only in hindsight with what happened. Yeah, of course. Like, if you ask me to run it back now, yeah, of course. Right, I no, I mean, that. in that moment, in, are you thinking? In terms of just, yeah. no, in terms of pro at the time, and look, I was, you know, I was in the stadium. Mm-hmm. had some yep. drink yep. I, I, w- I was i was there shouting kill 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 um not yep. literally you understand that 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 would <laughs> I, I got chucked out for that and rightly so but i was like right come on come on and and in fact when we scored the equalizer i all i was almost like get the ball out of the net and get it on the center spot because like we've got them here they're on the run yep. mm-hmm. yeah and look of course in hindsight the way it turned out but no generally speaking and all the stuff we've done this season where we've scored quick fire goals or we've got back into games quickly that's what we've done all season and in the first five games it worked to treat like that we we've been able to go right here we go step into that gear and it's much e- what we're finding is it's much easier to reach top gear when you're always quite near it right when you like it's when you really come away from it it's very difficult to go back up but if you're always at like at least 80 90 percent easier to get to 100 and that's what we've been doing all season and it and it's like but again basically i think it's a numbers game so let's say leicester fulham villa this game four of our six games so far we've had like a little bit of adversity conceded a goal we shouldn't three of those games we bang we we rode the emotion and we went and scored this time we tried it and it didn't work but like the maths basically shows you that it works 75 so far it's worked 75 percent of the time hasn't worked 25 percent of the time and look small sample size and all of that but Basically, I think the trajectory would go into the 80s, 85% wise extrapolated. Yeah, you'll lose a couple of games doing that. You will. But I think you'll win more doing it. And like I, I look at a team like Liverpool, uh, or at least who Liverpool have been, that's what they do. They go, they go for you. They absolutely go for you. And yeah, look, the, the reason I guess it's more naive here is because United just happen to be a really good counter-attacking team. That just yeah. happens to be their real strength. And, you know, I think about a game like Spurs, for example, and it's like, you know, well, may, may, maybe be careful there. Maybe use this as a bit of a lesson. May, yeah, maybe you could have been a bit more circumspect. But over, again, a bit like the sub, over the course of a season, do this do it because it will work more often than it won't it didn't and the triple sub didn't work going for them didn't work i i do tend to think it's it's relatively good process i mean there is a point you come to where i look at like the invincibles for example and i know people joke about them having 12 draws most of those draws actually had that had a very similar theme where we were away from home we we're a goal up the other team equalized they're on top and at that point Look at how many times the substitution happened during that season where either Gilberto or Edu came on for a striker. We went 4-5-1 and we went, right, we've read the temperature of this game. Let's not game lose over. it. Yep. Yeah, let's 1-1. That's it. Let's let's not lose this 2-1. And, you know, that's obviously that team was at the absolute apex of its maturity and this one isn't. So, yeah, look, you kind of have to read a game sometimes. But on- honestly, even given that, my reading of this game was go for them, go for the throat. And and honestly, I think maybe seven times out of 10, it probably works for us, even in this game. Yeah. And like the irony is that 2003-2004 team finishes with 90 points. And that 
wouldn't have won a, a couple of the last few Premier Leagues, right? So, like, it's about point accumulation. Maybe this is why Pep struggles in the Champions you know, quote-unquote struggles in the Champions League. This football is about points accumulation. And it prizes scoring the goals over being super, like, indestructible at the back. Now, to be fair, Pep City always have one of the meanest defenses too, but that's because you restrict chances through having the ball. But, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is this football is going to accumulate a lot, a lot of points. But there are going to be in days the, where you get sucker punched, you know? Yeah. yeah, definitely. Like, in the words of Mo's death, it's simple mathematics. It is simple mathematics. And, and, and let me put it to you this way. Which style or approach do you think is going to accumulate more points this season? The way we played against United or the way United played against us? You play 38 games playing that way. The way we play is going to accumulate more points. And that's the goal. It's not to win this game. Would have been nice to... And I think part of the reason there's some reaction to this that's pretty negative is... First of all, we lost a game of football. So, of course, and I get it, losing to them sucks. Losing them when we feel like we're better than them sucks. It does feel familiar. We lost to a lot of bad United teams the last few seasons, and that sucks. Um, there was some stat that United have never in the Premier League era like, lost at home when they've been leading at halftime. I think it goes back to the 80s, actually. And when we got it to 1-1, I was like, we're ending that. We just couldn't do it. Uh, a last quick question with, with Zerk coming up, though, Tim. I, you cannot risk this Premier League playing key players in the, in the Europa League, but the one challenge of being a little short squad-wise means I don't, I don't know what he does. He's going to have to play some first-team players. So, Tim, do you, do you have a sense of who the ones are to, to risk and who the ones are that aren't my... Part of me thinks if we see Vieira play left uh, right wing in the Europa League, that's actually going to be quite instructive versus if he plays in the eight. But I'm, I'm curious. I mean, how, how would you balance that? Because I don't think it's easy. No, it's not easy. I, I'm not that worried about it. Like, I, I think basically we've not been in the Champions League for so long that we've really started to shit ourselves about footballers playing three games a week. When if we mm. qualified for the Champions League, that's what would be, they'd all be playing three times that's a week. And in fact, point, yeah. that's what most elite players do their whole careers. So I'm not, you know, look, yeah, we might get unlucky and someone might pull a hamstring or like, you know, get taken out or something like that. But I, I'm, I'm not honestly that worried about it I do also think that you know against PSV the two games against PSV I think we're going to have to be quite strong because uh, they're going to be the ones probably who will challenge us to win the group and the reward for winning the group or rather not even the reward for winning the group the punishment for finishing second in this group is significant because then you play an extra round you play the round of 32 and you play it against someone who's dropped out I believe, of the champions. So it's a tough round of 32 game as well. Mm. So you have to win the group. That has to be the priority for me over it's and really above, yeah. you know, um, whether whether like two or three guys, yeah. yeah. Play, it's, it's probably yeah. going to be someone in the forward line. It's probably going to, I'd probably say Martinelli on balance just because A, he's playing really well anyway. I don't think, you know, he had a couple of years due to the injury where it, like, He's not as overloaded as maybe Saka, for example. Well, the Smith like, Rowe injury makes it almost a, an assurance that, that one of them has to play too. Exactly, so. and and really between Martinelli and Saka, I'd, I'd rather go with Martinelli. Yeah. And also because he, if he something does happen to him, I mean, there, there is a more natural replacement in Smith Rowe. So I'm I'm not hugely worried about playing a couple of players, um, you know, who might have to play three games a week because I, I, just think, I think we should remember that two or three of our recent injuries were got during training not during playing 
So a Europa League group stage game isn't the most scary thing for a player to play in injury-wise. Clive, you had a final point there? Yeah, just a final point. It did... We, own, we have got five subs now in this competition and in the league, and this is when it kicks in. When you're playing three days or three games a week, that's when you use your five subs. When you're playing once a week and you're, you're in tight games, then you don't, right? You do what you have to do. But now we may see a few of these players start, but they have to end the game. They could be off at half time if we're doing well, you know? So I think how we share minutes now, minutes is a new currency. How we share minutes over these next, you know, 19 games whichever it is before we shut down is the key that's going to be the thing that the sports scientists are going to be watching not the starts yeah the minutes yeah that's a good point maybe we could use the goal machines nuno Tavares and fuller and balogun to come back and score some goals since they can't be stopped right now um it'll be interesting and it'll be fun because my guess is marquinhos will get some minutes in this game wouldn't surprise me if that happens um i think Vieira will start i'm sure Enkedia will start it does get a little tricky to start figuring out which first team, you know, regulars get the day off beyond that, like in midfield. Uh, Samby probably starts again, I guess. Maybe it's Shaq and Martinelli. But, it, you know, it seems crazy to say, oh, we're going to play all these first team players in midweek. Well, to Tim's point, we may just have to do that and, and not shit ourselves about it. So it is what it is. Look, Keep playing this football. I was in the Discord right before the United game kicked off, and I said, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I know this. We're going to play well. And we did, because this is a team that plays well. That's what we do now. I, I, I trust it, and maybe that makes me an absolute fool, but I trust the way we're playing, and I trust it's going to continue. So we'll see. It's, uh, it's Zurich Thursday, Everton at the weekend. We'll try to get you a rewatch, I guess, tomorrow um, for patrons, and, and then, you know, instant reaction Thursday, well, then there's still a Wednesday. You know, we'll, we'll do lots of content. How about that? We'll just give you content and you, you consume it when, if you'd like. That works for me. Paul's on Twitter, Pops my pants. Thanks, Paws. Woohoo. Tim's on Twitter, Stuberta. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter, Clive BFC. Welcome back, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Alex Pithy, Black Man on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Keep your heads up, everybody. Still top of the table. And that is the goal. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Zerk. Nope.